Thanks for choosing this podcast for the BJSM community. And it's a great pleasure to be with Christina Lee, who's a physiotherapist and also a PhD student. And today, speaking in the role as a patient who injured her knee quite recently. BJSM is committed to sharing the voice of patients across our research articles and in our digital media. And so we'll start that on the podcast with our first one on that topic with Christina Lee from the University of Alberta in Edmonton. Christina, thanks for being in the Vancouver studio today. Thanks for having me. Tell our listeners what happened. So in September, September 3rd to be precise, I was playing in a provincial level soccer game. I had a really bad touch off the ball. It created a 50-50 situation for myself. And when I went in for the tackle, I planted on my right leg. It immediately buckled and I'd fallen to the ground. I knew immediately what had happened having seen so many of ACL patients in clinic. I pretty much just sat up and all my teammates came over to me asked me if I was okay and I just said I'm I'm okay but I'm pretty sure I've just torn my ACL uh, I was helped off and that was the the end of it so that was September 2017 and we're speaking in February of 2018 so you're five months or so down the track now as a patient what elements of the experience surprised you I didn't feel the pop at all. It didn't hurt at all either. Uh, It felt like my entire shin had dislocated briefly from the rest of my body. A very uneasy feeling that makes me squirm just to think about it to this day. Um, I didn't realize how unsettling that instability feeling was until I experienced it. And what about the first 24 hours post-injury? It wasn't too bad initially. The morning after I woke up, I had never seen a knee that swollen before. Obviously, we don't see them that acutely, likely in the clinic. It was really surprising how fast the hemarthrosis set in and how fast my quads function was lost. So there's a lesson there for clinicians to feel confident that an ACL rupture diagnosis can be made in what sounds like the absence of pain. But did pain develop subsequently? No, I would say pain was okay throughout the process. I think I've developed a little bit of patellofemoral related pains because my quads aren't firing as well. I feel like I'm occasionally experiencing some soreness around that kneecap related area, Um, but overall pain has not really been a barrier. So you're a high level player in the past, a university soccer player, and you love playing soccer and you're very active. So then the classic decision now is should you have rehab management or should you have surgery? So how did that decision play out in your mind and who did you consult with? Interestingly enough, I've always told my patients that if I were to ever tear my ACL, I would always pursue non-op treatment first. So I'm sticking to that word right now and I'm, like you said, at about five months post-injury So I'm about five months out right now, and it still feels fine. I've had a handful of instability episodes, but otherwise I feel like I've been able to strength train and get back to normal living without too many issues. And Christina, you posted that picture of your very swollen knee immediately after the injury on Twitter. You've got a good following at Yeg Physio, that's at Y-E-G 
physio and that's the airport code name for Edmonton but uh, folks can follow your progress on Twitter so you're sharing this as a story um, and congratulations on your work on social media let's drill down on those episodes of giving way what would make you decide to go for surgery or not it would depend on what I want to get back into in terms of activity and right now I'm not dead set on being a soccer player again and I think that my quality of life, my happiness would be fine were I to give up soccer and pursue other activities. Um, I'm also a hockey player, ice hockey player for everybody who's not in Canada and a snowboarder as well and those are two activities that have been documented as okay to participate with a ACL deficient knee and I think that's where my train of thought is going is pursuing non-op for as long as I can. And Christina sticking with your patient role you had to make this decision and you'd pre-planned when you talked about this type of episode that you wouldn't have the knee reconstruction immediately but when you're in that situation as a patient what were the factors that you took into account and who did you consult and discuss these things with? So I'm lucky to have two of my closest friends being a physiotherapist and an orthopedic surgeon, and it was interesting to hear their perspectives on it. Um, my surgeon friend was a little bit more leaning towards the reconstruction, the surgery route. I wasn't as keen. Um, the reasons that she brought up were you know, you can return to soccer that way. You're definitely going to be able to play hockey and, and to snowboard. If you have kids down the road, then you can play with your kids and not have any issues or worries or concerns about the knee. Um, from my physio colleagues, because I was pretty set on the non-operative route, I feel like they were quite supportive of me pursuing that as an option. And the surgeon was very uh, agreeable to that as well. Um, but it was interesting to see that that was kind of the first uh, mind or the first instinctive piece of advice that she'd given me. Her knee-jerk reaction, as it were. And Christina, did you think that being in that patient position of having to make this decision, how did that feel? Do you think that is difficult for patients, especially most of them aren't physios? I think it's very difficult. Uh, being in this perspective, I think everybody at my clinic that had heard I injured my knee, their first question was, so when are you going to have surgery? And it was almost a shock when I told people that, well, that wasn't something I intended on doing immediately or if ever realistically. And so if I'm getting that and I work as a physiotherapist at a clinic with sport docs and other physios and other surgeons, then I can't imagine an average patient who has no idea that they can go non-operatively that why would they even consider that as a route? Everyone's going to ask them when surgery. So that's going to be something that's in their head and lingering in the back of their mind when they're making that decision. So am I hearing you saying that you feel most patients would be hearing the surgical option as the primary option and there's not a sense of equipoise to use that term in the field for patients? Yes, that's what I would be saying. I think as a patient, and I'm lucky enough to obviously to have a background and understanding of ACL injuries, but as a patient, I feel like with social media, um, with other physicians and clinicians that you interact with, surgery is always the forefront uh, discussion that is held with people that recently injured their ACL. Um, 
that non-operative route is maybe thrown into the mix somewhere down the line, but it might not get as much press and coverage that it deserves. Um, the Frobel study from 2010 is a really good example of how people with the option of delayed surgery ended up doing relatively just as well as those that had that immediate four-week surgery, or sorry, immediate surgery following their injury. And I think that is a study that I try to keep in the back of my mind when I'm making these decisions and when I'm hopefully trying to inform my patients as well. So let's move on to the story on how you're doing as a patient then. Can you give us a summary of landmarks and experiences? For sure. So I injured it at the very beginning of September. I had been doing quite well. I tore my MCL at the same time, so it was a little bit more complicated than just an isolated ACL injury. I unfortunately had an instability episode at the end of October, so we'll say about six to eight weeks after the initial injury where I was just being a classic patient and pushing a little bit too hard at the gym. Um, So I was doing a a reverse lunge with a barbell for the first time and I took one step back on my very first rep and I felt it give out on me again. Uh, Since then, honestly, it hasn't felt quite right and I'm getting a little bit of locking a few times a day actually right now. So I know something isn't 100% solid in there, but I'm still pretty keen. There's still good days. There's not so good days, but there are definitely good enough days that makes me still want to pursue the non-op route. Do you use effusion as a guide? I do. I've had a very small persistent effusion ever since that second episode. So my guide's a little bit different. I'm just basing it off of that as my baseline. So if it does go above that small amount of effusion, I know I've probably overdone it and I will take the adequate rest that it, I need. Although, again, being a, a patient this time, I understand how difficult and challenging it is to actually hold off and stay away from the gym. How are you doing in your day-to-day life with your work? Absolutely no issues. Uh, Initially, obviously, I had a lot of struggles and patients were very kind and and understanding when I was crutching around with my big brace. But now I'm able to demonstrate front squats, deadlifts, almost everything except for the running and jumping components. And take us through your preview of the next six months and we might come back to you on a podcast to see how things pan out. So good timing with this podcast. I actually just had a consult with uh, my orthopedic surgeon yesterday and we've decided that we're going to go another six to eight weeks before we make a decision again. So my six next six months ideally are continuing to strength train, slowly transition into running. Um, I guess I should have mentioned before from that instability episode, I I feel like I'm suffering from some kinesophobia when I'm doing certain exercises. So I think it's trying to overcome a little bit of that hump and getting it back into some more dynamic exercises rather than just strengthening. And feel free to flip into physio mode for a little explanation for our listener about kinesophobia. So kinesophobia is defined as the fear of movement, uh, an irrational fear of movement due to thinking you might get re-injured or experience a a debilitating amount of pain. Um, Like I said, I hurt mine doing a reverse lunge and ever since doing any type of lunge has always given me a little bit of an uneasy feeling. 
And I found that it's something for myself in terms of overcoming that was just by repetition alone. So the more often I did it and the more often I did it without any issues, I found that it slowly has dwindled away. I want to ask about criteria because that's an important issue in return to sport. And I also want to come back to the biopsychosocial model to see how you feel this experience fits in with that. But let's begin with criteria. What criteria are you using for return to sport progression? So when we are thinking about return to running, the main criteria that we usually use are a single leg squat test that we've developed in-house um, based off of Adam Kelviner's work, I believe, in uh, osteoarthritis and knees. And we have also used just a raw score of how much somebody can front squat or back squat. Um, right now, I'm at about a 61% of body weight front squat, and uh, I'm slowly working on that to get back into running. And then in terms of return to sport, what I'm looking for before I clear myself or before my physio clears me is... Uh, symmetry when we are looking at hop tests, symmetry when we're looking at single leg strength measures, um, more quality assessment pieces like drop jumps and single leg drop landings. We also use questionnaires to capture the psychological piece behind return to sport. So the knee injury and osteoarthritis outcome score, the coups, and the anterior cruciate ligament return to sport after injury scale or the ACLR side that was developed by Webster, uh, Kate Webster. Christina, you mentioned symmetry as a criterion and something you would measure progression against. And if I'm not mistaken, the BJSM published a paper by Howard Moxness, and it's from the Oslo and Delaware group that obviously includes Lynn Snyder-Mackler. And the argument was that symmetry is not the perfect instrument, and if you can get some pre-injury levels, you might want to go beyond symmetry because the unaffected, in quotation marks, leg can lose condition. What are your thoughts on that? I definitely agree with that. Again, having experienced this injury, I can tell that my left leg is not as strong as it was before and I injured my right side. So just as a reference there, we're, we do understand that there are downfalls to measuring to the unaffected side. Uh, when I just injured it a few days after we were lucky enough to have access to some equipment and actually measure strength on my left side, uh, my unaffected side, and do a couple hop tests and, and that sort of thing. So hopefully we have some baseline numbers that are more reliable. Well, thanks, Christine. I think that's terrific insight into your injury. And I know our listener will be wishing you success and will follow this story over time. I want to just finish um, by talking about return to sport and return to play as a concept. There was a consensus statement that you're very familiar with. Um, led by Claire Ardern and organised by Mario Bazzini with the International Federation of Sports Physiotherapy as a major partner. What are your take-home messages from that return-to-play consensus statement and how has it affected your practice as a physio when you're thinking about return-to-play? I really enjoyed that consensus statement. I think that we focus a lot on the physical needs of a patient and that was a really good statement that brings in this biopsychosocial model. So the more psychological part of that uh, model into mind as a clinician dealing with athletes who are returning to sport. So, and that's why we include those questionnaires when we are clearing somebody to sport. And it's important to have those discussions about what they might be afraid of or tentative with. 
the second concept that I would take home from that consensus statement that made an impact on my own clinical mindset was that return to sport wasn't necessarily the end of the continuum. That return to performance is something that we're also striving to achieve. And I believe that we are too quick to discharge our athletes or our patients right at the second that they're able to hit the field again or hit the court again. And we don't necessarily follow up with them in terms of are they, do they feel like they're the same athlete they were prior to that ACL injury. Share what you mean by return to sport compared with return to performance and tell us more. As a clinician, for myself, return to sport means I get to check mark a box that says when my patient is back on the field and is training with his or her team again that I've done my job. Whereas I would like that patient to come back and say that I feel like I've been playing at the same level, if not ideally better than where I was prior to my injury. I've had a handful of patients tell me that. And uh, the first person who told me that, I kind of flipped a little bit of a switch in my mind to think that's actually what we're going after. We're not just going after back to sport, period. We're going where we should be aiming for back to sport and beyond. So we should be aiming for that return to performance and, again, ideally better performance than before they were hurt. Christine, having had this experience as a patient, do you think you're going to talk about these mental issues even more with your patients? And I know you're already rather aware of it in advance. So having had this experience as a patient, I can definitely say that I put a little bit more weight into the psychological part. Um, I want to hear my patient stories about what they're mindful of, what they're fearful of, what they're confident with, so that I can establish a little bit better of an idea of what we should be targeting in future treatments. So practically as a clinician, if you're trying to understand more from the patient about their concerns, what instruments do you have to do that? So from my patient experience, what I would say is we should have conversations with our patients a little bit better, uh, spend a little bit more time just understanding what they're fearful of, what they're confident with. Um, I know for myself, if I never played soccer again, I don't think that that would impact my happiness or my long-term satisfaction, my quality of life. But as a clinician prior to this injury, if I had a patient that said, oh, I hurt my knee playing soccer, I don't really want to play soccer anymore, I would have previously deemed myself a failure or I would have feel, felt like I failed that patient. But now having lived this experience, to me, playing soccer isn't necessarily the only successful outcome that I'm defining as a, a final recovery outcome. Um, I'm looking more for those long-term pieces like quality of life, like avoiding osteoarthritis in the, in the future, and just being able to modify activities and live a happy and healthy life. Thanks for those insights, Christine. I think they'll be very interesting and resonate well with our listener. You did allude to Dr. Stephanie Philbay's work in this conversation, and we talked about her before the podcast. What has been her contribution? So I think Steph Philbe has been really great for pioneering quality of life in this ACL population, and it's uh, now an area that's of interest to me in my studies as well. Um, a couple of her big kind of take-home messages were looking at things like 
body weight, uh, subsequent surgeries, and then return to sports uh, success or or failure. Uh, she found that those were the three big factors that tied into impacting quality of life uh, many years after in- initial injury. Thanks so much for sharing that information, Christina, which I'm sure is going to be great food for discussion in clinics all around the world among our many podcast listeners. To all our listeners, uh, thanks a lot for engaging and please do feel free to make suggestions through the various channels to reach BJSM and we're hoping you find many useful things on our Facebook page, for example, or through Twitter and our blog, all of which can be very easily accessed through the BJSM app. 